welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Academy. We are committed to ensuring that schools and their staff are supported with as much training as possible to ensure children in their care are kept safe and supported. Georgie McIntyre, Managing Director of Connects Academy here and joining me today for this series of podcasts on trauma-informed practice is Andy Bridge, a current Deputy Head Teacher and Debbie Davis, a Head Teacher and experienced SENCO. This podcast is about safeguarding and trauma, so please be aware that there may be something that causes you a trigger. If so, please take time out and seek support if you are affected by any of the content today. For children who have experienced trauma, learning can be a big struggle. Often students are misdiagnosed with anxiety, behaviour disorders or attention disorders, rather than understanding the trauma that's driving those symptoms and reactions. A trauma-informed classroom recognises that when a child misbehaves or acts out in class or just simply won't work, their behaviour may have nothing to do with being naughty. In fact, their behaviour may have nothing to do with the teacher or the class at all. We consider how we embrace this approach and while still maintaining high standards and expectations in our lessons. So thank you, Debbie and Andy, for joining me today. Hi, Georgie. Hi, Andy. Hi there. So Debbie, we've we've got lots to cover today and, it, and it's fair to say that by saying that although a child who has experienced trauma may display challenging behaviour, it isn't necessarily a choice that they're, make, they're behaving that way, is it? Uh, it, it? It could be a choice. In many cases, behaviour is a choice, but for traumatised children, some of the behaviours may be an automatic response that, that isn't a deliberate choice. I guess it's about changing our mindset really and rather than thinking how can I, I publi- uh, how can I punish this child for displaying this kind of behavior if we try to think how can I help to de-escalate this situation that's really important the word de-escalate really um, and what can I do to help this child feel safe and secure um, and that's the great starting point if, if you change your mindset and you can come at it at that angle you'll probably get more from the experience of working with children who suffer from trauma and we can have boundaries and we can uh, and we can be firm without being confrontational um, and that is really crucial because some children who suffer trauma um, want to take some control back because some children have got have lost control in certain situations so being confrontational makes them feel controlled and hence that's a, re- a response as well, a trigger for them. Absolutely. Um, I had uh, recently had a chat and a podcast recording with um, a safeguarding expert, Debbie Innes-Turnell, and we were discussing the recent NSPCC education case studies paper that's been published. Um, one of her key things that I took away from that call was around um, seeing, making sure that you see behaviour as communication um, and that you make sure that actually the, the child is performing that way or communicating that way because they're trying to 
indicate something to you. So, um, yeah, I think it's really crucial that we understand that. Andy, you've talked about this in previous episodes and, and talked about empathy. And, and I guess that's actually crucial as well, isn't it? Hi, Georgie. Yeah, I, I think it really is because it it can be sometimes difficult if you've not been through trauma um, and you find, you know, many teachers, many people that choose to work in schools choose to work there because they enjoyed school and they got on really well at school and they found it a nice environment to be in. Um, so I don't find sitting in a, in a classroom stressful. I don't find that difficult to manage. Like that's the kind of place where I'm quite happy and comfortable. So having empathy and being aware that actually it's irrelevant that I don't find that situation stressful, that, that doesn't really matter. If it's stressful to the child, we need to be able to empath empathise with them and understand how we can support them. So I think sometimes one way of doing that is to just notice and just say, it, you know, it looks as though maybe you're struggling a little bit at the moment. Is that right? Is there anything I can do to help? What would you like me to do? Um, and just just give them that acknowledgement that you understand they might be struggling, they might be finding it difficult. And I think the other thing for us to keep in mind is that if a child's been affected by trauma, it we can't necessarily predict what is going to trigger them and what's going to cause some kind of emotive response from them because it could be something that seems so insignificant to us like a loud noise or a certain smell or you know it could literally be anything and every child's unique so we don't know and we can't predict in advance how they're going to handle a situation all we can do is control how we respond and I think empathy and kindness is usually a good good approach to take. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more there, Andy. So Debbie, a child may have experienced violence in their past and, and if they think there is a physical threat, they might go into one of the responses we talked about in a previous episode. And we talked about fight, flight, freeze, friend or flop. But it isn't just violence. They, they may have experienced. So what, what else do we need to be aware of? Yeah, I mean, that's right, Georgie. Um, and, and it isn't just violence. Um, it, it could be many different types of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual or neglect. And I know we have touched upon that. And as Andy said, all children who have experienced any form of trauma could react in different ways. So we shouldn't assume that violence would be their only trigger. And, it, and if a child has had parents that have experienced a, a difficult divorce or some topics in, in PHSE lessons and personal development lessons about relationships may be really difficult for them, uh, for example. So I remember um, a situation where we know many times across the many years that I've, I've taught that where children who we know need extra support have been taken out of certain lessons because we know that at that time in their life they haven't got the strength to sit and listen to what is being shared and it's not right to do that to them because they haven't got that emotional capability to listen either and the key thing really is to be alert to the indicator that a child may be about to dysregulate so being as calm as possible and, and as Andy said showing empathy and kindness and also acceptance and curiosity and playfulness which we've talked about before because pace is is a fantastic way of of helping children and just coming back to you know Andy saying earlier you know asking them how they are 
one of the most powerful things in school because there are so many children in your class you know you can have so many children can't you sat in front of you and people become grey-faced because we're thinking about our assessments and we're thinking about how to deliver a piece of information or model this and we're all so conscientious but just to turn around to someone and when you get that feeling that they might not be feeling too well about themselves just say are you okay and you'll see that the child actually will look at you and think this person is asking me if I'm okay and they've noticed something and that's enough for them to actually start to reflect as well and it's helpful yeah really helpful and it's that it's that moment when they it, they talk about yeah I've been noticed again I've been fortunate to to chat with quite a few people this week and um, we were talking with a, a youth worker um, and he shared a lovely story of um, a, a really cool kid his youth group who everyone loved and everyone hung out who happened to say to him that he felt sorry for this other child that was there that was quiet and in the background and he encouraged him and sort of said to him well, what could you do about that and he said well I could go up and give him a little fist bump and say that I've said hello and, and chat with him and and he went over and did that and actually the uh the dave shared the youth worker said, shared that the the kid lit up and you could see that he actually felt noticed and acknowledged because the cool kid had actually taken the time to come over and talk to him and both of them actually went away feeling very positive for that simple interaction so it, it's back to sort of being aware about that so Andy, do staff need to be aware of exactly what has happened in children's past to be able to support them effectively? Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, obviously there'll be a core safeguarding team within school that will need to know some details to ensure the, the care and provision for that child's right and multi-agency working. But for a general classroom teacher um, or a teaching assistant working with a child, I think usually it's enough to just know there's been some kind of traumatic experience. They don't need to know the details. But just being aware of that can help with their approach. Um, but actually, having said that, the approach that we take with a child who's experienced trauma is just actually it's just a good approach to take with every child. So even if they're not aware of trauma in a child's past, if we shift our approach and treat all children in that way, um, you know, that can be that can be a good thing. And I think shifting that mindset, I think Debbie mentioned it earlier, it's a change of mindset from what's wrong with that child and what's wrong with their behavior to a bit more curious a bit more inquisitive i wonder what's going on with that child and how i can support them it that's so powerful and actually the it's not relevant to us necessarily it's not important to us what has happened in the past the thing we need to be kind of focused on is how we help them overcome that for the future yeah and, that, and that's a really powerful shift as well andy isn't it is, is shifting that mindset about actually what what's actually going on here is there anything else you can recommend from your experience, Debbie? I think for me, something that's so important is building self-esteem and a sense of success. So they feel important. I mean, you, you mentioned, Georgie, you know, the smile just by just by a fist pump from the cool kid. You know, it builds a, their self-esteem. It makes them feel included. And that's what we all should be doing and trying to build self-esteem. So every child has things that they're good at. Every single child has talents and getting them to feel successful, you know, is 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 brill for that child. But bit by bit, and if we build that self-esteem, 
in a way that allows them to see that they can be successful. It, it can help them with their own mindset and their own shift from I can't do this to I actually can do this, which then obviously supports their learning and progress. I, I can remember working in some of my classes uh, as I've gone through the, the teaching of, of several children and and I talk to them about mindset and it's okay to make mistakes it's that's fine by making mistakes we learn more and if you make it okay and then you praise the the even the them answering a question and find the good in everyone you'll find that again coming back to George's little smile it comes and then the smile grows and then that comes into the body language and that comes into the self-esteem and how they project themselves and feel and conduct themselves. Self-esteem is so important. And, and it's also, I think, about focusing on the behaviour and not on the child, actually, and, and trying to separate the two. I think that's really, really important. And that mindset changes is is also key and as you said it doesn't happen overnight is there anything you would advise around this Andy? Do you, know, do you know I think the point Debbie's just made there about that finding something they can be successful at as in whether that's a, you know whatever random skill or talent that is we can also apply that in the classroom I think sometimes you know, we need working tools to be challenging we need to challenge students academically um, as a general principle but sometimes we can go too far that way and too much challenge can put some students off even attempting it. So sometimes I think there is merit in having a starter activity in a lesson where you know you're pitching it as they're going to find it quite straightforward and they are going to have some success in the first five minutes of your lesson because you've deliberately made the level of challenge very accessible and actually getting the getting the students in, in the seats and having some sense of success with their learning in the first few minutes you can then gradually increase that challenge in a very non-threatening um, and supportive way. So I think you can apply that to the learning. And then I guess the other thing I'd say is it can be hard if, you, if you've if you got a child who's dysregulating. Like sometimes you can feel your own adrenaline pumping and your heart beating faster. And we add more stress to that situation if we don't handle it really well. Um, and like that, that's quite hard to, to do sometimes kind of remove the emotion from it and just think actually how am I going to respond in a way that calms this situation Debbie said the word before de-escalates rather than how am I going to make this child comply with what I wanted them to do like that's that's not the right approach is how can I calm this how can I stop this escalating further and it, and it's difficult to do that it's like it's a really tricky skill I think as well if, if I can just come in there I think it's really important that we use all those strategies and I think one of the best strategies that I tend to apply is that when when before they even come into the classroom be aware that they will they could be in fight flight freeze and flop uh, mode already before they've even got into your classroom it's nothing to do with what's happened what's in your classroom and they might be at that very heightened state and actually their brain the, the the brains the two parts of the brain are not talking to each other and they can't access anything so the first thing you've got to do is get the brains to the two parts of the caveman brain and the the frontal brain to be talking to each other so then they can calm down and move on and and that's where all the like andy says that the internal networks and mechanisms within the school will will be there to support that child um if if they need to come out and have a bit of a breathing space and some time out 
it also comes back to the fact that you 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 don't know what's gone on that day. You don't know whether they've had their breakfast. You don't know whether they've had a row at home. You don't know how well they slept and what their challenges are. And and actually, it's about looking at the behaviour again as communication, isn't it? And 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 totally sort of thinking about how you can behave to almost bring the situation down and that even something simple as a calm voice or you know a, a good smile or something really simple and rewarding for them I think would make a, a massive difference so thank you so much both for our conversations today we've covered lots of interesting ideas that focus on survival strategies and classroom tips that could really make a difference to children if we embrace them and Connects Academy is proud to be a DFE approved provider of the senior mental health lead training and you can find out more about that by visiting connectsacademy.com. You can pick up our After the Bell podcast which are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational and hopefully you can access this if you're walking the dog on your daily commute or or on your treadmill even if you're feeling fit and focused. Have a great day and thank you so much for listening to us. <laughs>